Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. If you're just joining us, this is actually a part two of a two-part podcast. The gentlemen have on a great guest today. And John, I think you're going to do the introduction, right? I say bye bye throw it to Michael. He's got all the data right in front of him. So. All right. Michael, what's up? Hello, everyone. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> G2's got it today. G1 oh, put me on the spot. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. Uh, we have back with us uh, Joe McClinsky from Shift, which uh, he is the founder and CEO of. He's a uh, New York Times bestselling author of Grow Regardless. He's a TED Talk presenter. So I think we probably could have made this four parts instead of two <laughs> based on what we were talking about last Can time. Can we bring Joe, Joe back? Uh, of course. I think we may do that. But first off, Joe, thank you again for being on this part two. Hey, guys. I'm having a good time. Let's keep awesome. it rolling. Yeah. Well, I think when uh, we spent a lot of time the last podcast talking about a little bit of your background, sort of the challenges that executives are facing in today's work environment. But we all thought that for this part two, wanted to get a little bit more deeper with you, Joe, in how your company works with executives, maybe give a little bit of some case studies. And I think you said you built a pretty unique platform within your company. So I was hoping today we can really focus on that if that's okay. Yeah, sounds great. Perfect. So why don't you give a little bit about, again, what your what your company does and how you work with executives, and we'll take it from there. You bet. You bet. So for those that didn't listen to the first uh, episode, it's uh, for 22 years, we've worked with executive teams to get their vision and their strategy super clear so that they understand how to get their people to know, own, and drive it. Basically, how do they bring it to life? The way to think about us too sometimes is like we're a very, very small boutique, you know, consulting firm, kind of like a McKinsey that cares. We've had a large mission focus. And a lot of the companies that we work with, they're not broke. In fact, they're pretty damn high performing. What they're looking for is again, kind of an unlock of like how can they do a little more with less, or maybe said a different way, the less that matters more. And so we've had a really good run. 90 plus percent of our business comes from referrals and relationships. Um, I think the first one that kind of comes to mind that I can publicly talk about is a relationship that we've had with John Hancock um, up in Boston. Most people have heard of uh, you know this financial firm. We started working with them about seven years ago, and you know I'll just start off by saying not to add a like kind of an odd moment to this case, but you know the CEO of that company that we had worked with actually passed away about a year ago, and he was one of my favorites frankly, one of my favorites I've ever worked with. He was a guy that sat in that captain's chair and just understood you know, the responsibility of 2,000 plus individuals and really what it took to, again, lead with honor, kind of like my dad. So in any event, we engaged them because they were looking to basically replicate, duplicate their high performers. They were like, hey, uh, how do we take the best of our A players and how do we get the rest of our team to understand that? And so when we first engaged them, it was about, you know, doing your typical discovery and your understanding of like where they are. I remember sitting with the CEO and I, he asked me, he's like, how long is this going to take? And I said, it'll take about a year. And he said, there's no way. This is generally a three plus year project for some of the other bigger consulting firms. And I just said, look, man, I'm, I'm a blue collar kid who just doesn't have time to waste. <laughs> so we ran that play every year. Basically, we would sit down with the executive team. We'd look at their plan. We'd find the holes. We'd fill the gaps. 
we'd build some bridges to their team so that change management wasn't this like, you know, it didn't feel like what you're doing every year with New Year's resolutions. Like everybody knows we tend to humans like have this like immunity to change and we don't like doing things differently because that's for sure. Legacy sort of creeps in. And what we were able to do is just get shoulder to shoulder with his team. And we would generally knock the, 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 the ball out of the park, if you will, in terms of like, how fast can we make this change happen? We talked about this in the last podcast, the change on the outside, the pain of that change sometimes goes faster than what the executive team is is comfortable with with the inside it's it's almost like entropy takes over if you want to take down that path of like again we've got to make sure that we're not atrophied in the way that the organization is meeting this new set of challenges and that was the relationship for almost 6 to 7 years up until kind of the nice little turn of the story here is you know right when the pandemic got going i started scratching my own head of going okay let's just get this straight we're no longer in the office only we can't get shoulder to shoulder with everyone. And organizations are going to have to move not at a quarterly pace, maybe not even at a monthly pace. They're going to have to move at a weekly pace. Meaning when the executive sees something, where do they say it? Do they send out an email? Do they schedule another meeting? And then more importantly, how do they get their people to do something based on what they saw, based on what they said? So what we did is we ended up acquiring a platform that uh, had a different use case. It was an HR tech company. They had 65,000 employees using their system. And then they walked into COVID with a really just a, a, a battery of bad luck. And it had nothing to do with the platform, but the board of directors decided to basically shut the company down. And we were there at the right time at the right place. And so we acquired this platform that I think is the first platform that CEOs can use to get everyone on the same page on a weekly basis without scheduling more meetings. And so what it does is it's been helpful specifically with our, our friends that I just mentioned, instead of taking nine to 12 months of creating that change, we've been able to within their company, Hancock, and some some several others to get it done in 90 days. Meaning wow. like get out new ideas, new changes, new plans, you know, new initiatives. Instead of it taking that long to do the change management curve, we've been able to do it in 90 to 120 days because one, we're not scheduling more meetings, two, we're not doing this through email. Three, the platform does a very simple protocol. It asks people a question. It shares a quick story. Most, by the way, 75% of employees prefer video communication. And the last thing it does, and look, for anyone who's ever run a meeting, I would invite you to think about this very simple practice. The reason people don't change is because you don't ask them what they're going to do about it. It's a simple psychology tip. At the end of a meeting, at the end of a communication, just ask the question. So how is this going to make you think differently? How are you going to show up on Monday differently? What's the one thing you want to do differently because of the conversation we just had? You're inviting in space and time for people to begin to think about how they're going to go do something different. So that's the, the you know, I've just said a lot here, of course, you know, everything from the work that we've done at Hancock, but we've done a lot of work also with family businesses and second and you know, as you call them G1 and G2 types of businesses. But at the end of the day, what I was looking for was an unlock for our team. We had people in China and Brazil and, and you know, believe it or not, we had a, a hybrid team, you know, as the pandemic got going. And so it was like, okay, if we're going to do this for other people, we've sort of run this play at shift for the last 20 years, which is we don't do anything that we're not trying on ourselves so that the gap between the words and the actions are pretty slim. And so that's just an example of like, how do we speed up the time from point A to point B in terms of helping a company or an organization change?
I'd like to see that technology. Send me some info on it. I'd like to see that. You definitely will. It's called Latch, by the way. It also has AI that we have put into it. So it's measuring the sentiment. Back to Mike, you know, the conversation we were having about text messages. I don't know about you two, but I'm not a digital native. So when you, you two send me a text or even an email, I have zero idea of the intent. Back to yep. 93% of communications nonverbal, when you're getting these texts or this typed email, it's only 7% of communication, really. So how are you like not supposed to judge you know, behavior as intent? Which by the way, is like <laughs> one of the biggest problems in culture is that we make these assumptions about what we think people meant. Well, digitally, we're spending 60 plus percent of our time digitally right now working. You know, this AI is essentially a way to, uh, I don't know if you track your sleep through like a whoop band or a Fitbit or an aura ring, but like the idea that most people don't understand some of the, the deep sleep practices or the REM sleep practices, you can't do it without some type of sensor or monitor. You can't trust yourself waking up the next day going, oh, I feel fine. Maybe you do. That's sort of the blind spot that a lot of leaders have right now, which is like, maybe you feel great about what you said. The real question isn't what you said. The real question was what was heard and what are they interpreting you meant? And so that's what this platform does on a weekly basis, which is almost gives you a scorecard to say, how many actions as an executive have you inspired each and every week? And that's pretty exciting right now for a lot of our clients. Yeah, it is. Is there a, Joe, a, a maybe size of a company is not the right metric that you use, but is is there a metric where this type of technology makes sense? Yeah, there definitely is. Look, I think anything above 50 employees, you get to a point, if you're familiar with Robert Dunbar, he was a, an anthropologist and socio sociologist out of the UK. He was the guy that came up with the famous 150 they call it the Dunbar rule, which is he said, anything Absolutely. after 150 yeah. people, we begin to lose trust. Like we've been collaborating again for 2 million years, human beings. And after 150 people, that size of tribe begins to feel a little wobbly, a little dissonant in terms of like, do I really understand what you said? Do I really hear you? And so I would say that, you know, for us, sort of fitting into that, any organization that's got about 50 or a team that's got about 50 to say, call it 500, we think is a great use case. And of course, we work with bigger companies too. We have for a while, but I would say we're kind of settling back into the lower mid-market because I think right now, I think the innovation that sits before that lower mid-market, you know, look, Google has had a monopoly on digital advertising and search engine optimization for 20 years up until, uh, I don't know, back to ChatGPT. I think what you're going to start seeing is a lot of these legacy companies are going to have to innovate, you know, pivot from their core, figure out the whole, you know, what they're going to do about all these emerging technologies. And we're going to focus a lot of our energy right now at shift on that lower mid-market. So that's how we're thinking about it, Mike. Yeah, Joe, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was this concept that sort of fascinating to me, and I'm, I'm currently internally here at Copper Beach exploring, implementing it to some degree, is this form of asynchronous communication. And I was wondering if your program incorporates that, how it incorporates that, and whether you see it as a value going forward. Well, I think one of the things, if I hear that question right, one of the things that I think a lot of organizations are going to have to think about is this new terrain of not in-person and not just digital. Like what's the hybrid solution? And so we've, as you know, talked a little bit about this in the first piece, which was 
asynchronous collaboration just essentially means not scheduling meetings to get people on the same page. And I think in a lot of ways, you know, the role of an executive leader has definitely transitioned. And Frank, look, let's be honest. I think the role of almost everybody has transitioned over the last two to three years, which is the great accelerator, as McKinsey said, you know, the digital transformation has sort of gone from like in the next five years, these things were going to happen to the next two to three. And I think as innovation, as technology continues to emerge, I think a lot of organizations and frankly, leaders, instead of living by the old adage, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, I would say this is an opportunity to develop. Look, I don't know how to code. I'm not a developer, but I was able to build this platform in about five months, which was you know, 10% of the time it took the, the company that we purchased this from. How? Because things are different. It, you don't need to have a coding background to learn these things. And, and in fact, you know, for the last five years, I've been you know, really down the rabbit hole of AI and blockchain and advanced manufacturing and 3D printing. Again, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in any of these things, but the idea of relevance, I think, is the message that really seems to resonate the most, which is executive leaders, here's the call. The call is you can develop your digital fitness, your digital etiquette, presence, leadership, your digital collaboration, and frankly, you know, your digital dexterity. They're just apps. You know, back to John, your point, we're not out shoveling holes here, folks. We're just trying to figure out how to use our username and passcode is generally the biggest stress point for some of these platforms. Yeah. And I think this is like an opportunity for us just to remember that this can be something that we can come up with technology that helps enable us and not the other way around. Yo, you you get brought into a firm to do your consulting. I, I'm going to take a, a while guess here, but I think I'm right. Your process actually could change the culture of the firm going forward or strengthen their current culture. You actually could bring people together in this new world. Am I am I reading that correctly? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. In fact, you know, going that's back, huge. Yeah. I mean, look, the client that I referenced, and I didn't give enough, you know, to this gentleman by the name of Pat. And, you know, Pat was the type of CEO who understood that culture was his most important asset. But he was also someone who understood that sometimes what you focus on, you find. So focusing more on the culture, focusing more on not just the intangible part. So when people hear culture, they feel like it's squishy. I'm not exactly sure what that means. And I would just like boil it down to a couple of things. It's the beliefs, the behaviors, the habits, and the standards inside of a business. That's all it is. It's how a company makes decisions. It's how- and it also attracts good people. I mean, I, I look at when I when I recruit someone here to Copper Beach, what Michael I recruit, we look for that. They got to join our culture, not necessarily they got to drink our Kool-Aid, but actually they do because we have a different focus here at Copper Beach that if you don't believe in what we do, it's going to be hard for you to kind of hang around because we're very focused on growing the enterprise in the direction that we work generationally with families and that culture has to be consistent. It can't ebb and flow. Am I, am I, Michael, am I right at that? Am I, is that oh, absolutely? Yeah. So, so that, so I, I, I think it's marvelous what you're doing because you could build that in a company that might not have that culture at the highest level at this point, because of what you do, you could not only strengthen the company, but also make it very attractive to work at that company for people that are being, interviewed for a position. Well, and that's also, I mean, in our conversations with executives and business owners, that's one of the main things that they try to to communicate to their employee base is that culture for a variety of reasons, but mostly because it helps grow the company. It helps build a unified 
machine, if you will, that drives value of the company, helps with succession planning, because that's what we spend a lot of time with our business owners on. So it really has so many different benefits to a business owner that it's just, I mean, it's great what you're putting together. My other follow-up question, Joe, how does a company work with you? How, how do they call you up on the phone? What, what, what do they need to know about working with you? Or, or text you, I guess, or, or audio text. If that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can send me a mail, uh, a letter in the mail would be great. Um, handwritten, if possible. Yes, uh, yes. And, and not first class. Just carrier pigeon. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hey, you guys are uh, funny. So look, on the culture piece for a second, I would just say again, you know, it's not just the beliefs, behaviors, and standards. John, you're hitting a really important point. It's do you believe? Do you believe in what we're doing? Now, my second book, Shift the Work, just to shamelessly plug that, was all about the engagement that employees have in their head, their heart, and their gut. And the easiest way to describe this quickly is just to say, like, if you've ever had somebody babysit your kids, they babysit your kids differently than you raise your kids. There's a different level of ownership. So you think about ESOPs, or you think about stock option programs, or things that give people restricted stock, whatever the program is, the idea of ownership, figuratively and literally, can help, again, amplify and unlock people's discretionary effort, their choice to do more, their choice to be more, their choice to give more. And look, the studies have shown both Gallup, McKinsey, all the big guys have said that when you focus on your culture, there tends to be a higher return on investment. That just does, right? The businesses do a little bit better. They keep their people a little longer. And you're hitting on a point that if you know, you're not tracking these hidden costs in a business, such as like your retention or your attrition, your time to proficiency. These are not things that an executive typically thinks about. But if you know that you lose a key executive, that's about a $400,000 average spend, which is how long it's going to take us to replace them, how long it's going to take to get that person up to speed, the recruiting fee, the time to fill the vacancy. All of that lost opportunity cost is a big deal. And again, these are, I would say, pretty intuitive points if you just focus on them. And, you know, Mike, to your point, people typically will either read something that we've put out on our website, or, you know, I did have a TEDx talk that you've kindly mentioned a few times. It was actually a pretty big deal. We just found out two weeks ago that it was the 40th ranked talk globally last year out of 15,900 talks. Oh, that's so, awesome. Congratulations. So that, that's great. Yeah. So I was like a little pleasantly surprised by that. But like, you know, generally speaking, yeah, send us a note, send us an email, whatever works for them. But, you know, typically it's just a conversation. We just meet people where they are. I don't have some prescription that we've got to come in with hard and fast. And I think people get that. They feel that, that we do our best, you know, to deeply listen <laughs> and just be present. And to sort of allow it to be a collaborative discussion about, again, how we can add value. Because look, at the end of the day, we're only as good as our last meeting with a client. We're only as good as being able to you know, attribute our presence with a little better, a little faster, and a little stronger results. And so we've been living and dying by that creed for some time. And it seems to work out pretty well when we've got a great client. We always have a discussion, Michael. How do we... I make it a little personal. Yeah, how do we take care of our employees? Because I treat them like they're my family. So I want them to enjoy their success with us as a strategy. So when you think about the new world, Michael is part of the Vistage Group, and he was speaking with an individual that was talking about the employee base, your top 5%, I guess you mentioned that earlier. What do they want? Do they want more money? Do they want more free time? So, Michael, why don't you walk through what you talked to that gentleman about, about their recruiting for different 
they're not recruiting, but they're giving different benefits to different people because they'd rather have a week off, as an example, than maybe another increase in their pay. Is it? Am I? Am I, am I, I think generally, yeah. I mean, he 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 spoke about um, a lot of different topics and and couching it, I think, in the just sort of the shift in demographics, really, in terms of you know we are now in a world where you have the baby boomers retiring. You might have gaps in the workforce, which I think we talked a little bit earlier about. And so, how do you how do you recruit and retain key talent? Uh, and that was one area that in his book, as Chris Sarnick, I'm not sure if you're ever familiar with him. Actually, it might be a future guest we're hoping on the podcast. But um, uh, he he had, I think, a lot of good statistics. And one of the things he talked about was, you know, it's for particularly the younger generation. It's not so much the pay obviously that's important but there's only so much that businesses can do to increase wages at a certain point talk he just talked about bringing in these other um for lack of a better term ancillary benefits to these employees to recruit and retain them is that are you seeing something similar to that yeah i mean we i think what you said john resonates a lot with me which is you know this is definitely gonna like i think hit a nerve for some people that'll make it super uncomfortable which is when you say I treat people like family, right? There's to me, you know, certainly you can argue this point about, well, does a family fire someone? Well, I mean, you meet some of my family members and we can talk about that later um, because I do think just because your family doesn't entitle you to something. But the idea of family is, I think, a response to the typical business crap about how you treat people when you say it's just business, it's not personal. So to me, the the governing aspirational aim, the design point is to say, okay, imagine you're a person, <laughs> you're a human <laughs> being. We know that pay, you know, past $75,000 a year incrementally is not necessarily moving the needle on the happiness meter. That's number one. Number two, you know, look for every company that's trying to outpay someone else, there's always a company out there that can outpay you, you know, against where you want your people to be. So yes, we at shift have been doing things like you know, I give two days a year for people to go think about stuff. The Friday before Labor Day and the Friday before Memorial Day, we call them a shift you day. It's like, do you, have you ever spent two full days investing in yourself a year? Like, And by the way, how did I come up with it? Because I've never worked in corporate America and I came out of college going, okay, so let me get this straight. People are actually working the Friday before Labor Day or Memorial Day. And that's most organizations. I'm not saying all, but a lot of them don't. So we gave it back. You know, we gave... The time frame Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. every week to do the exact same thing. Because think about it. At the end of the week, most of us are just hurried up. We get back to the house or maybe you walk out of your home office and you got to go be super mom or super dad, or super husband or super wife. Like there's no transition point. Well, what if you you ended the week with something that you did for yourself, a, a massage, a, a workout, a yoga set, whatever. So those are just two small practices. But yeah. From a benefit standpoint, I mean, we give folks 2500 bucks a year to go figure out like a, a joycation, we call it, or professional development. Um, a buddy of mine has a company called Life Guides. It's a better EAP program. I would highly recommend people check that out. I mean, heck, I'll let you guys in on. You'll be the first people to hear this you know, publicly in a couple of weeks. There's a press release that will hit outside of our company about you know, we're now offering psychedelic therapy in the form of ketamine treatments for telemedicine. And we're going to be like one of the first like 30 companies from this company, uh, Mindbloom, to do so. You know, and the point is, is like, what are all the things that you think you might need <laughs> to be your best self? And can I at shift provide these things? Because I know 
if I hire the right kind of people drinking the Kool-Aid, John, as you said, but really thoughtful, you know, independent agents, like what I invest in them, funny how this works. They end up investing in our clients. They invest in each other. They invest in the company. And so, you know, the sincere interest I have is, you know, what's good for me? If it's good for me and it's good for them, then they should have access to it too. And that's really been the way that we've led the company. That's that's, that's unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, that that's amazing. That's amazing. Joe, before we end, you had a, you have a couple platforms that you utilize. You you want to go through uh, those to make sure the, the, you know, the listeners understand exactly what they get from you as a, as an organization. Do you mean like uh, tell me what that? I'm sorry, John. I'm being you have shift. Did you have another? Did you have like latch? Do you, do you yeah, do so, latch? yeah. Yeah. So if you go to shiftthework.com, shiftthework.com, you'll go to our website. The right. name of our company is Shift. I grabbed the URL shift the work because it was the name of our last book. Um, and I just was doing a little bit of a land grab here with, you know, however many books we were going to sell, people would go to the website and sort of get a little bit more of a bigger picture of who we are inside of shift. We use a tech platform called latch, which is essentially a differentiator for us as a consulting firm, because, you know, most consultants cannot show the progress. They can't measure the change or they can't really put their finger on like whether this is working or not. And Latch is really doing a great and job. And you're the only one that has that, that software, correct? We are the ones that built it. Yep. Right. You bet. So those are the two you know, most notable things. And a lot of people hire us and me specifically to come in and help them plan for a big meeting or get ready for an annual conference. Or um, I've been speaking for 20 you know, or so years. And it's less about me being like a sage on the stage, so to speak. And John, you saw this. Yep. It's really about how do we enable folks? How do we become part of the organization? And really, it's almost like, you know, we were there, but then we weren't. And really the main players at the meeting John was able to witness was the founders, the executives, the people. Um, we played a very, very small role. And that's sort of the way that we like it, which is, you know, how can we play a small part in progress? And at the same time, you know, really bring some new and fresh thinking that will remind us all that we know these things. We just don't practice these things so much. It was outstanding meeting. I got nothing but I heard nothing but great, great things about because uh, I didn't attend the whole session. But Sean could say <laughs> he was overwhelmed what you did. It was fabulous. So it was, it was great to see you be part of what I was there. Yeah. Good people. Listen, Joe, listen, we, gotta, we, we have to end the session today. We I, I feel bad about it. We could talk for another Two hours, but I, I wanted to thank you one more time to share your your wisdom and your and your vision of of where the world's going because I think it's important and the change that that change is going to be challenged for most of us and I, I think it's imperative they put they they have exit ramps for that change and people you know, help for people like yourselves to help get there. But I don't know if you had any, any other thoughts. Oh, this is well, yeah. Thank you again, Joe. This is amazing, and I, to echo those sentiments, Dad. I think that from what I've learned today and on the prior podcast, Joe, is just, you know, it is a new world out there. I think CEOs, executives, business owners, leaders, they're challenged with how do we adjust to this new world here? They need answers. They're looking for answers. And I think you and your organization can certainly provide that. So uh, this has been great. Thank you so much. And and I think we'll hopefully have you on in the future. Sounds good, guys. Thank you for having me, spreading the good word and uh, keep up the conversations. I think more people need to be plugging into things like this. Yeah. Absolutely. We're we're excited for you. You're doing fabulous stuff, Joe. Appreciate all your effort for the, Thanks, the world around you. Joe, thank you so much for being a guest on the show again. And of course, John and Michael, thank you for facilitating this and seeking out and finding guests like Joe that bring such value to the audience. So thank you so much for that. And of course, speaking of you, the audience, 
Our last thank you goes to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review. This actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC-registered investment advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. American Portfolios and Copper Beach Financial Group are not affiliated with any other named business entities mentioned.